Hosanna to the King of Kings. Praise you, praise you. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit was and is and is to come. The whole earth is full of your glory. Praise to the Lamb who was slain. For by his blood, he purchased people of every tongue and every nation and every people and every language. And he has made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve and they shall reign on this earth. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for making the way. We come before you this morning and we do bow down and we humbly come before you asking that our hearts and our lives, our minds will be open to receive everything that you have for us this morning. I pray, Lord, that you would just pour out your word through your spirit to make us more like you. Lord Jesus, we praise you. Thank you. We are grateful for every spiritual blessing that we have in you. We pray, Lord, that we will be good ambassadors of your spirit and your kingdom here on this earth, in our families, in our homes, in our community, in our jobs. Lord, may we represent you. May we channel your light. May we be salt of the earth. May we be your kingdom people on this earth. And we will give you the praise and glory in the name of him who taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, worship team. Let's give the worship team. Thank you, thank you, thank you for serving us this morning and leading us. When I was um, right at 18, 18 to 20 year old range, 20, when I have one, 23, I had a couple of experiences in my life that were hard lessons in reality. And it began when I was 18 and I, was, I had graduated early from high school and as soon as I turned 18, I got a job working for a company loading semi-trailers. And the, you know, all the packaging would come down the conveyor belt and I would pick the package, make sure that it's going into the right truck, check the, and then the, it, was, it was completely empty. And then there's this false floor. So the job was to take the package and build basically walls. And you'd build through the whole trailer on the bottom, and then you'd bring down the flaps, and it was another, like another floor, and then you'd step up, and you would do the whole thing again. And you're always in charge of like two, three different trailers, so once one starts getting backed up, you leave the one you're on, and you go to the next one, and you load that one until 
The next one is, and you just keep going back. And it was a really fast paced job, but it paid really well. It was perfect for my schedule. I was so excited to have this job because I could make some money for college. The people that I worked with were great. My supervisor was a really nice lady. She's kind of a motherly kind of figure and she was really sweet. Um, and then a few weeks into my probation period, there's like a 30 day or whatever probation period, I got called into the HR office and I was asked, um, said, we noticed that you didn't sign up for the union. To which I said, you, you're right, um, because I'm only gonna be here for like four months. So this isn't gonna be a career for me. I'm gonna be going to college. And so I just didn't see the need for me to join the union when I'm just only gonna be around for a few months. And plus, I'm saving for college, that's a lot of money. The next day, I got to work, and the worst trailer to load went to Bedford Park, Illinois. Worst trailer. This was the trailer nobody wanted to load because it came so fast and furious. So the next day I show up at work and I am told, Vanduel, you're on Bedford Park today. And they waited to the last minute to tell me. And when I walked up to the trailer, boxes had just been thrown and strewn all over the base of this trailer to the point where there was no way that I could actually make any sort of order out of the chaos that was there. And the conveyors hadn't even started, so that had happened before I got there. So knowing there's nothing else I could do, I threw the flaps down and they started coming in fast and furious and I'm building a wall and my sweet motherly supervisor stood there and said, what happened down there? I said, I don't know, it was that way when I got here. You know what, I can fire you right now. I said, I, I know that, but I, what was happening? And she stood there and berated me and swore at me and threatened me. When it got to break, no one spoke to me. And at the end of the shift, my supervisor came and said, unless you wanna to come to work and find your tires slashed and your windows broken out, I suggest you join the union. I went and complained to a friend who was older, an adult, and he said to me, Vanderwell, welcome to the world. This is how the world works. A couple years later, I uh, worked for a company that uh, did abstracting. And so I worked in the county office building where they had all the tax records. Because it was an abstract, you take the abstract, you go around and you check all of the records against the buyers and sellers on the abstract to make sure nobody was trying to do anything shady. Now, this was about 19, uh, the late 1980s. And by this time, smoking had been outlawed in every governmental building. It was a federal law. 
And I was really surprised as I began doing this job that one of the stations where I had to check the records where there were these two old ladies that smoked like chimneys. And I, and I remember asking, well, why do they get to smoke? It's against the law. And I was pulled aside by my boss and he said, look, this, this city and this county are run by a political machine. They have controlled this city and they've controlled this county for decades. And the machine decides what the law is. So these two ladies who have been part of this machine and have been at that desk for decades, they can do whatever they want because the machine is going to protect them. And I suggest you keep your mouth shut and let it be. Because if the machine doesn't like us and our company, they can make big trouble for us. This is the way the world works. So I was really glad that I was decided that I'm gonna go into ministry. And right after college, I got in, became a youth pastor of a, of a large denominational church. And while I was there, the pastor who had been pastor for like 30, 35 years, kind of like a Kevin, um, retired. And at his retirement, they, uh, the way this denomination worked is they brought in an interim to be the pastor while you're looking for a new pastor. And so the interim came in and the way that it worked was the interim had to preach on a Sunday morning and then have a congregational vote. And after the congregational vote, it was decided that he would be the interim or not be the interim. So this guy, um, old guy got up, he had never pastored a church this size before, as we learned about his past, and dude could not preach his way out of a paper bag. I'm sorry, but it was awful. So after the service, my fellow staff members got together and were like, what are we gonna do? I don't know. Um, and then the, the head of the deacons, and in this church, the, the, the deacons ran the church. There were deacons and then trustees. And the deacons kind of do what the elders do in the Reformed Church, and the trustees did kind of what the deacons do and the executive team do in the, in the church. So the head of the deacons, who's kind of the congregational head, comes up to me and my staff members, and he says, he goes, man, that was awful. I don't know. And he's like, what are we going to do? And I said, I, we'll just have to see how the vote comes out, I guess. And he's like, yeah. And he said, look, if, if he is not voted in, Tom, would you, you know, be willing to preach for a couple weeks so we can get another interim? And I'm like, yeah, that's not a big problem. Fine. So the congregational vote actually came out against the interim fairly substantially. And so we were like, whoo, dodge that bullet. Okay, we'll see what else happens. Uh, in a couple of weeks, we'll get another interim in. On, on Monday morning, I walked in to the office and the secretary said, there's a mandatory staff meeting in the pastor's office right now. Okay. So I walked in and there were chairs set up for the staff in front of the pastor's desk. And standing behind the desk, 
was the chairman of the deacons. We all sat down in the chairs. This is all really odd. We sat down in front of the chairs. And the head of the deacon said, I am here to admonish you, the staff, for turning the congregation against this interim. It's your fault. You spread slander and lies and negativity among them. That's why this congregation voted. This is not the way it works. The interim is supposed to be a shoe in The interim is supposed to be a rubber stamp. You have embarrassed this man. You have embarrassed this church. You have embarrassed this staff. So consider yourselves on warning. And the next interim that's brought in, better pass. Dismissed. I walked, we walked out of the office going, what happened? How did, the chairman of the deacons was like going, whoo, glad we didn't get that guy on Sunday night and Sunday, Monday morning, he's accusing us of all sorts of things that we didn't do. And it took me a couple of weeks to figure it out. You see, the most powerful person in that church was not the chairman of the deacons. The most powerful person in that church was a fairly wealthy business owner in town who gave the most money to the church, who was tied into the denomination and had a relationship with the interim that we voted out. And so rather than it being a congregational vote and allowing the Holy Spirit to work through the vote of the, of the congregation, this gentleman, like the Godfather, called the chairman of the deacons and made him an offer he couldn't refuse. Because guess what? That wealthy, influential businessman could make the head of the deacons life miserable. This is how the world works. Now I tell you those stories because when you get to, <laughs> you get to Ecclesiastes chapter 10, it's a weird one. A couple weeks ago, Wendy and I were driving and we had some drive time and I said, hey, Wendy, why don't you, let's open Ecclesiastes 10. I'm, I'm working on my sermon for November 7th and we can talk about it. And so she opened it on her app and she read Ecclesiastes 10. And as she read it, she's like, what? Huh? Oh, no. And she got to the end of the chapter and she just looked at me and she turned her app off and was like, yeah, good luck with that. We got, I'm going to tell, I'm going to, yeah. So we get to the teacher's meeting on Monday, this past Monday night. And at the teacher's meeting, we often share kind of what we're planning and kind of what the outline is for Sunday. And we get to the teacher's meeting this last Sunday and Kevin handed out his outline and he had skipped from chapter nine to chapter 11. <laughs> so I guess even Kevin was like, not touching it with a 10 foot bull. So I want, to, I want to try and make some sense of this because if we could go uh, to slide number two, Preston, I want to start by going to, again, to our four levels. 
Because we, have, we found out as we come through Ecclesiastes that for like 40 times, the teacher says, under the sun, under the sun, under the sun. So for those of you who may not have seen this graphic that we've used a lot here in the auditorium, life kind of happens on four levels. Level one is sort of my relationship with God. Level two is my relationships with my loved ones, my inner circle, my community, those relationships that touch me. Level three is the kingdoms of this world. Government, corporate world, business, religion. And then level four is the kingdom of God. And so we have to understand when he says that it is, what we're talking about is under the sun. You see that cloud bank between three and four? We have to understand that when the teacher was writing, Jesus had not come. The kingdom had not been revealed. Jesus had not made the way. So the only thing the teacher sees are the kingdoms of this world. And when he describes what's going on in this world, he is talking about the way the world works because he doesn't know anything different. So let's go to chapter 10. And I wanna, I wanna come through this fairly quickly, but I, as I read through 10 and was meditating on it, I, I had all of these things flood back into my memory like those three stories I just told you. So what the, what the teacher is really saying is, this is what I see in the world. This is what I observe. This is what I understand. 10.1, as dead flies give perfume a bad smell, so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. Can you think of an individual who, though they had a really good life and seemed to do a lot of really good things, one tragic flaw led to their downfall? Can you think of a politician or a business person or a celebrity? Yeah, that's the way it works. The heart of the wise inclines to the right, but the heart of the fool to the left. And Wendy and I talked about this a lot because Wendy and I are both left-handed. And in the ancient, in ancient culture, left was always weird, right? Because there's not very many left-handed people. So left was always considered the foolish side, the, the weird side, the unnatural side. And so what the teacher is really saying is, yeah, there's a certain direction that wisdom goes and there's a certain direction that folly goes, right? And that's true. He goes on, even as fools walk along the road, they lack sense and show everyone how stupid they are. I want you each to think of a fool that you have known or know in your life. A fool who no matter how hard they tried, no matter what they did, they remained foolish. You know, the oldest thing they say, you can't fix stupid. And sometimes that's the way the world works. If a ruler's anger rises against you, do not leave your post. Calmness can lay great offenses to rest. I have a client and the culture of this uh, fairly large business uh, is one of fear and intimidation. From the CEO on the way down, the executive team, the senior managers, they run their business by, by fear and intimidation. 
And when something doesn't go their way, they scream, they yell, they threaten. And this just trickles down through the whole organization. And sometimes I'm like, well, why am I here? Well, <laughs> in part, I think that I'm there to try and be countercultural. <laughs> and I have even received emails and phone calls from the management team of this company. I have, there have been many times that I have been yelled at, that I have been sworn to, that I have been called on the carpet unjustly. And one of the things that I've learned is just to go, mm-hmm, okay, I'm sorry, yep, all right. To remain calm. Because guess what? I've also learned that the storm blows over. Just like the teacher said, stay calm, be at peace, be faithful, keep serving. And we've served this client for almost two decades. Yeah, that's the way it works. There's an evil I have seen under the sun, the sort of error that arises from a ruler. Fools are put in many high positions while the rich occupy the low ones. I have seen slaves on horseback while princes go on foot like slaves. And I have seen this in the world. I have seen incompetent people that have been appointed to really high positions. And I have seen really loyal, competent people hit the glass seating. I will never forget, I was, doing, I was coaching this one uh, gentleman he was actually about the age I am now. And we were uh, in this coaching session and it was the day that he realized that he had hit the glass ceiling. He had been loyal to this company for almost 30 years and he had been unjustly passed by for a promotion and he was actually advised that he could probably plan on not ever being promoted again, that he had He's probably gonna be where he's at the rest of his life. And this grown man wept in my presence as he realized that everything he had hoped for, that everything he had expected with his career, that giving himself to the corporate culture, to giving, him, giving loyalty to this business, and now they weren't being loyal to him. It's how the world works. Whoever digs a pit may fall into it. Whoever breaks through a wall may be bitten by a snake. Whoever quarries stones may be injured by them. Whoever splits logs may be endangered by them. One of the things we said from the very beginning in this series is that, guess what? We don't control anything. Tragedy happens. About the same time that I experienced the, the, the church godfather, I had a really good friend uh, who I had coffee with every week. We were kind of accountability partners and, and good brothers, and we would get together every Tuesday morning. And while, while I was at that church, one night he and his wife were visiting a friend in the hospital and on their way home, they were hit by a drunk driver who had been convicted of drunk driving multiple times. And my friend was thrown into a brain dead status. He never came out of it. 
left his wife and six children. You've all, we've all experienced tragedy, haven't we? We've all experienced things that we can't explain, that we don't get. It's the way it works in this world. The ax is dull, its edge unsharpened, more strength is needed, but skill will bring success. In other words, necessity is the mother in invention. That's the way the world works. Sometimes you figure it out. If a snake bites before it's charmed, the charmer receives no fee. That's the way the world works. If, if you're not doing your job, you're not going to get paid. I did a project for a guy one time, and I found out that he was the, the director of sales, and his sales team were supposed to make outbound calls, so many outbound calls per day. And as we did the assessment, um, we were taking all the calls that had been recorded and listening to them, and guess what? We couldn't find any outbound sales calls because his people weren't making their sales calls. And when we asked him about it, he said, no, 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 I've got the logs. They tell me every call that they make. Like, well, they're lying. What, no, 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 they're not. Yeah, well then you go and you find the recorded call and you show them to me. So he invited me to lunch about a week later and he said, this report can't see the light of day. Why? Because if the snake bites before it's charmed, don't get your wages. If the board, if my boss finds out my people aren't doing what they say they're doing, I'm gonna take the fall for it. So can we deep six this report? That's the way the world works. Words from the mouth of the wise are gracious, but fools are consumed by their own lips, and beginning their words are folly. Remember a guy in, in college who uh, we had an assignment to write a paper, and I think the paper needed to be 10 pages. And as the, the teacher was handing the papers back, he gets really mad. He goes, why did I get an F? And the teacher said, uh, said well, because that's what your paper deserved. And he goes, I wrote 36 pages. And I'll never forget the professor, Professor Klausman, he goes, yes, but you didn't say anything. <laughs> Do you ever know a fool who can talk and talk and talk and talk and talk and talk and never say anything? No one knows what's coming. Who can tell someone else what will happen after them? We are living in strange times. Is there anyone in this room who thought we would be living in some of the times we're living in right now? That we would see some of the things we're seeing happen right now? You never know. What's gonna come? The toil of fools wearies them. Foolishness just makes life harder. Woe to the land whose king was a servant and whose princes feast in the morning. Blessed is the land whose king is of noble birth and whose princes eat at proper time. And you look from country to country and the, and the countries where you have, you know, you have tyrants and usurpers that really don't wanna lead anything. They're just living off their own people and taking advantage of them. It happens. Through laziness, the rafters sag. Because of idle hands, the house leaks. Anybody procrastinate something and then really take the consequences for it? Uh, I do. Wendy can tell you lots of stories about me on that. A feast is made for laughter. Wine makes life merry. And money is the answer to everything. I couldn't help but think of Schindler's List in the scene where Oscar Schindler invites all 
of the Nazi regime, all the, the power brokers of the Nazi regime in his area there in Poland, and he wines and he dines them and he spends money he doesn't have. He, almost, he basically goes into debt and goes broke, whining and dining these guys because he knows that in doing so, they will give him the contract. And guess what? They gave him the contract because that's the way the world works. Don't revile the king even in your thoughts or curse the rich in your bedroom because a bird in the sky may carry your words and a bird on the wing may report what you say. Have you ever told somebody something in confidence about somebody else and found out they told? That's the way the world works. So chapter 10 is really about what we said from the beginning. Go ahead to slide three there, Preston. Life is not in my control. Next slide, Preston. That's the way the world works. So why does this happen? In just a couple minutes, let me bring this into focus. Go to slide five, Preston, if you would. Life in this world, under the sun, we are subject to the consequences of sin because of the Garden of Eden. So we live in a sinful world, a sinful world that has tragedy and pain and suffering and death because it's a sinful world. It has been since Genesis chapter three and it will be until Revelation chapter 22. Okay, next slide. Life in this world and the sun is currently in the dominion of the prince of this world, the kingdoms of this world. You see, when, remember Matthew chapter four, the devil takes Jesus up to a high mountain and he shows them the kingdoms of the world and he shows them all the splendor of the kingdoms of this world and he said, all of this I will give to you if you bow down and worship me. Why could he say that? Because he has dominion over the kingdoms of this world. Why is there corruption? Why is there power? Why is there, why did things happen unjustly? Because Satan is the prince of this world. Now Jesus said in John chapter 16, the prince of this world stands condemned, but he's like a convict on parole. His condemnation is sure, but we are still living in this world under the kingdoms of this world that are under the dominion of the enemy. And why is God tearing? Why doesn't God just come back and take care of it? Because he doesn't want anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance. He is waiting for us to be ambassadors, to do our job, to show people in the world the kingdom of God so that they will join us in repentance. That's why he's waiting. It's all part of the great story. Let's go. By the way, if you haven't seen a Good Friday service from last, uh, from last Good Friday, I talked about the fact that Jesus' trials are basically the kingdoms of this world. Rome represents the government. Herod represents commerce. And Annas and Caiaphas represent religion, man's religion. And it was the kingdoms of this world that Jesus 
rejected when tempted, and they put him on trial and crucified him. I encourage you to give a listen. Life in this world, next slide if you will please, Preston. This will not change until Revelation chapter 18 through 20. Not gonna change. And when that happens, see in chapters, end of chapter 18, all the kingdoms of this world gather to wage war against the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and the returning Christ. And in that moment, chapter 20, verse one, the angel of the Lord is released to take Satan, the enemy, the serpent, and throw him into the abyss where he belongs. Until then, we live life under the sun in the kingdoms of this world. Next slide, please. Jesus himself said, in this world, you will have trouble. Isn't that? You can say, in this world, I'm gonna save you from all your troubles. In this world, I'm gonna make life easy for you. Nope. He said, in this world, you're gonna have trouble. So a follower of Jesus should never expect this world to work like heaven. And don't we do that sometimes? We expect bad things won't happen, but they will. We should never expect that this life will be fair. It won't be. We should never expect that the kingdoms of this world will do the right thing, because they won't. We should never expect that justice will prevail before Christ returns, because it won't. Next slide, please, Preston. In the same verse, Jesus said, in me, you will have peace. So what can we as believers expect? To find peace in times of trouble? To find joy in suffering? James 1, verses 2 and 3, consider it all joy when you encounter various trials and suffering. We can expect to find that love overcomes a multitude of sin. That's 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8. We can expect to find hope in the resurrected Christ. That's 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. We can expect to trust that all things will work together for good for those who are in Christ Jesus, because ultimately it will. Can we go back to the slide two real quick, Preston? That'd be great. See, when Jesus came, remember what we were saying about in the first song? The veil was torn. You see, before Jesus, God existed in the Holy of Holies in this little room inside the temple. And there was a big veil, like a big bank of clouds between levels three and four. But when Jesus came and the veil was torn, love broke through, the light of the world broke through, and all of a sudden, we now have access to level four. Not that it's going to take over this world until the end of Revelation, but now we can live in the resurrected Christ. We can live with the hope of the resurrection. Let's go to... Uh, Let's go to chapter, uh, slide number 10. So 
Think about that cloud bank. Now faith is the confidence of what we hope for. What do we hope for? What we hope for is level four. What we hope for is the redemption of all things. What we hope for is to be one with Christ where there is no more crying and no more pain and no more suffering and no more sin. And so as we live in this level three world, our hope, our faith is to realize what is to come. Next slide, Preston. Praise to be to the God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and his great mercy has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So it may seem like a little bit like a bummer that we live in this world and this is the way the world works. But friends, this is what the great story teaches. The good news, the hope, is that Christ has already risen from the dead. He has conquered the grave. He has risen victorious. The prince of this world is condemned. And as we live in this world under the kingdoms of this world, we live in faith and hope and the realization of everything that is to come. And that can be a reality in our souls and hearts as we suffer and we face trials and we face injustice and we face persecution, we face uh, things that aren't fair, our faith, our hope brings peace and joy. It brings perseverance. It brings all of that into our realities in this world. And that's why we can say Worship team, come on up. That's why we can say it as well. So as the worship team comes up, I would just like to ask you if you are, whatever you're facing today in life right now that just doesn't seem fair, whatever injustice, inequity, that whatever suffering that you have experienced that maybe is still really raw in your soul. I wanna encourage you and me to take some time in our worship and bring it before Christ and say, God, forgive me for expecting (laughs) that this is gonna be any different when you told me it's not. And I encourage us to, in faith, say, God, I want to embrace all that you have for me. And I want to experience your peace and your joy. Even though right now in this world I'm suffering. And Jesus, by faith I claim the hope of what is to come. Knowing that these momentary afflictions don't pale to eternity. God, give us the faith to cling to you, to find hope in you, to live victorious by praising you in all circumstances, that it will activate our faith to pray powerful prayers, that the evil one, the prince of this world, will be overcome in our hearts and lives, and that we will learn that we will live and reign with you 
on level four when that day comes. Maranatha, the Lord Jesus is coming. Amen.